Tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did it all start? Do you remember? Oh, I know what happened. How did it stop? You're now tuned into the Small Business Origins Podcast. I love an origin story. Each week, we dive into the real stories of entrepreneurs and businesses from across the nation. Who is he and what's his origin story? Who started with just an idea and are now making waves. I told you this was a good idea. This is Small Business Origins. Oh man, what is up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Small Business Origins. I'm your host as always, John Kelly, aka John the Marker on Instagram and TikTok and you're tuned in. It's our nationwide search. We're looking for entrepreneurs that have a story to tell. And joining me virtually in the studio from Los Angeles, California, I've got an entrepreneur that wants to do just that. We've got Jason Hennessy. He's with Hennessy Digital. Jason, welcome to the show. John, thanks so much to have me on the show here today. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, it is my pleasure to have you on. I'm excited to jump into it. It's always interesting to talk to other marketing professionals because this is just kind of a world that people don't truly understand. So I know we're going to talk about some really, I don't know, cool things to us because we're nerds. Sure. Uh, And maybe this is something that people are truly going to start to understand and, and learn about after we have our conversation. But we always start out this show with an icebreaker question. And today's icebreaker question is, according to you, what is the most mind-numbingly dull movie that has ever been made? Mind-numbingly dull movie that's ever been made. Hmm. So I don't, as an entrepreneur, right, you know, because I don't ever have patience to sit down and like watch a full movie. Um, you know, my, my selection isn't as big as probably most of your guests. Um, I would say a movie that is dull. Hmm. Let's go with. Uh, there's a Nicolas Cage movie. Um, what is it? What Wonder Wall? What is that? Uh, Waterworks. Waterworks. I'd say yes. I'd say it's not Nicolas Cage, but I think it's Waterworks, and it's just not a good movie. I'd say let's go with that one. <laughs> I haven't heard of it, so I'm gonna say your answer is probably spot on because this is not <laughs> a movie that I've ever looked into. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm the same way. I do watch quite a bit of programs i guess we could say like i'm big into tv shows i try to make time at night my wife and i were really big into blacklist right now so we've been watching that series on netflix you know and it's just it's my time to kind of sit down decompress and unfortunately 90 percent of the time as soon as we're done and she goes to bed the laptop is back out on the bed or i'm headed back to my home studio to do something else because just like you I've got entrepreneurship duties that call. Oh, yeah. But uh, as far as movies are concerned, I'm not a huge movie buff. I do like to watch one every now and then. But if you remember back when the Blair Witch Project came out. Sure. To me, as someone who loves being scared, I hit up the the horror houses whenever it's Halloween time. Oh, yeah. I love doing that kind of stuff. So I was so excited for the Blair Witch Project. I was like, this is going to be awesome. It's shot from like a different perspective. You don't really see very often on movies. Yep. And I showed up and I was so bored the entire thing. I mean, nothing ever happened. Yes. You know, it's like these TikTok paranormal investigators that you see. Uh-huh. It's just like, oh, there's a sound over here. And yeah. that's it. And they're trying to translate that through a movie. And I was so bored out of my mind. I went to the theater to see it. I was so disappointed. I wanted a refund. But oh, yeah, we love that. We love that stuff, too. Like we love the horror stuff. Um, went to a place with my my kids called the 17th door. It's out here in Los Angeles. And um, you have to sign a waiver that says basically like you can die and you can't sue us. And it's like, okay, here we God. go. Yeah, it's pretty, you could probably YouTube it, but there's uh it's definitely uh, out there. That's one I'm going to have to 
check out because we've been to L.A. before mm-hmm. uh, on a visit. And, you know, of course, we had to drive through Hollywood and just see all the stuff that as a Texan, if you don't travel to California, that's that's the only thing you know about California is what right. you see on TV and movies. And we had to go verify this stuff and see what the real actual story out there was. So it was actually pretty cool, man. I got to ride along with LAPD Air Division. Oh, that's so cool. I got to go out there at night and saw a couple of police chases. And then, of course, the rest of the time when they weren't actually working, they're just taking us out there so we could see the Santa Monica Pier at night. That's amazing. Uh, driving us over uh, Charles Manson's, you know, the home that he was in whenever he committed all of those Crime. horrible acts, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, and then obviously my wife and and her friend, they got to go to the Griffith Observatory and see all that stuff. And they were like, well, let's go make them jealous and give you an aerial view of that and the Hollywood sign. So we get to fly over all the restricted airspace and see everything in person. It was That's it was an amazing so experience. Cool. Man. Very cool. Yeah. I don't know how you were able to pull that off, but man, I've been living here for about eight years. I haven't done anything that cool. So, yeah, I'm going to have to make a call, see if I can still get you hooked up, man. My guy that was out there, he was a sergeant with LAPD Air Division, George, and okay. uh, he is no longer there. He does like basically tours now sure. of the helicopter agency and runs all that stuff. Uh-huh. Excellent, dude. I still stay in touch with him this day, but it was just kind of one of those connections I had with an old boss of mine who came from LAPD. And, you know, he was like, hey, while y'all are there, it's your birthday, man. You want to go fly in a helicopter? And Heck I was like, yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. You know, in Texas, we say, does a bear shit in the woods? Like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's what I want to do on my birthday. So, yes, it was fun. But Jason, I could talk about myself all day. Obviously, that's why I'm on a podcast, you know, but I'm here to interview other people. So let's hop into it, man. Where did you come from? How'd you get into entrepreneurship and what is your origin story? Yeah, um, I think, uh, you know, entrepreneurship, uh, you know, for me, it started really early. Um, You know, I was the kid uh, that didn't come from a a very wealthy family. My mom was 17 when she had me. My father was out of the picture. My grandparents raised me. He was a custodian and my grandmother made bathing suits. And so we, you know, we didn't really have much, you know, and um, in fact, we didn't have a car when I was kind of growing up early on. Right. So we walked everywhere. So, um, you know, I had a, I had a, a appreciation for, um, you know, just some of the traditional values, but at the same time, you know, um, I was money motivated, right? Because when you don't have a lot of money, like that's kind of like, you know, what, what you want. And so, uh, I was a kid selling back, um, lollipops and blow pops out of my backpack, um, lemonade stands, newspaper, you know, delivering newspaper, you know, all of that stuff. Right. And, you know, and I, I always knew that I kind of, I had that in my DNA, you know, I'd be sitting, uh, at lunch at like a pizzeria that's close to the school. And instead of worrying about like schoolwork, I'm sitting there thinking, I remember this very clearly. Like, I'm like, man, like, I'm like, there's like 40 kids in here right now. Everybody's giving them like $5 each. Like it's a perfect location. Right. So like, even back then I was kind of like business minded, you know, but I didn't realize it at the time. Um, you know, and then just kind of growing up, uh, you, you start one business. I started my first business when I was 14. It was a mobile DJ company or DJ sweet 16 parties. Uh, and then I ended up joining the air force, uh, got out of the air force and one business led to the next, led to the next. And so here I am now, um, 45 years old, living in Los Angeles with a family. I've got a digital marketing agency. I've got a studio in Hollywood, and then I'm an investor in couple other projects as well man that is something i think very few kids are kind of born with and i'm with you like i always thought about ways i could make money when i was younger Mm -hmm. and unfortunately a lot of it tied to just 
actual jobs I could get minus my dad was an entrepreneur. So I got to ride with him along all of these mornings that he'd just spend driving from one side of Houston, Texas to the other for his foreign company. Hmm. And I was like, man, I really want to do something like this where I'm kind of making money for myself. And he, he put me to work at an early age. I was like 12 years old when I had my first job. Hmm. And all I would do is just rip up floors. Okay. So I'm out there just tearing up these floors for him, making a couple hundred, 300 bucks a, a weekend. And yeah, luckily that entrepreneurship drive kind of went from my dad to me and I started doing exactly the same thing, man. When I was 13 years old, I had a buddy of mine. I'd, I'd hang out with my dad. Like I said, you know, we'd drive two, 300 miles back and forth through Houston and then get back. And the first thing my dad wanted to do was go to the bar, grab a beer and hmm. drink something. And growing up out here in rural Houston area, we had ice houses where 13 year olds could accompany their parents to a bar and it wasn't a problem. So sure. I shot pool quite a bit, actually just did a business deal with a really good friend of mine from school. And he was one of those kids. We'd be over there shooting pool. Our dads were at the bar drinking. And, you know, then we wind up being the 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 driver to take them home, you know, <laughs> to make sure they got home safely type stuff. So we grew up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, that turned into this little gig that I had. The guy running karaoke there was like, hey, I can't actually lift my equipment due to a medical condition. I usually have somebody who works for me. And I pay him about 30 bucks. And all he does is ride with me, unload the equipment. And I set it up, run it, and then he tears it down and puts it back in the trailer. Nice. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm up here at the bar anyway. Like, I'll do that for you. So I started doing that and started making money when I'd go on these little trips. And then that translated into, hey, we want to do more work with you where you're running the show for 50 bucks a gig. I'm going to be there with you, but you're going to actually hook up the equipment, learn how to run it, and then you're going to run the KJ show. Or if you go to weddings with me, you'll run the DJ show. And I was like, hey, that sounds like a great idea. Hmm. And then that turned into let's do a 60-40 split. We'll actually pay you a couple hundred bucks to go run these DJ gigs. And when they shut down, my current boss here at Beefy Marketing and my my business partner in our actually an event services company doing DJ photo booth and live streaming, he was like, you know, look, I'm wanting to help you with some of this stuff. And So he kind of got in early with me and helped me start my own company, basically with a high interest loan that was me paying retail price with no interest at all, you know? Okay. And so he bought that equipment. I paid him back. And that was my first little gig, pun intended, into entrepreneurship as well, was owning a DJ company. You got that in common here, huh? Yeah. Yeah. JD's mobile DJ services, man. That's uh, that's what I did, you know, and, and wound up bringing on another business partner later. And then we parted ways. And then COVID, I just shut the whole company down, sold two trailers, three sound systems. And, you know, we were out of work out here. Um, things recovered quickly. And Andrew came back in and we've kicked it off even better with OMG Event Co. And it's been an amazing ride. But it's it's just funny how many of us come from that DJ side. And with kids, it's so easy because you're right. You're hitting up these sweet 16s. You're the same age. Yeah. They want you there. Like it's a prime opportunity. Yeah. So for me, that was the other thing was kind of translating that to my children. You know, how do I get my kids interested in making this money? And and I did the same thing with my 14 year old. He wants to make money, but he can't go get a job. He's got school. So he's kind of started his journey early. Yeah. And he's just doing chores around the house that we pay him to do. But he's also translating that into other people's homes. You know, he figured out my parents aren't the only ones that hate these chores. So let me go out and do these chores for other people. And he's making like 700 bucks every two or three weeks, man. That's he's great. absolutely killing 14 it. 14-year-old, heck yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. So he's yeah. saving up for a car, saving up for a computer. It's cool to hear other people, though, that are kind of in this same mindset of passing that stuff along. I mean, because you never know where it's going to lead to. And then obviously 
you know, kind of what you're alluding to, all of a sudden you become this guy that's in LA, which is not a cheap place to live. You're raising a family there. You've got a home, you've got a successful company, a studio in Hollywood. Yeah. This is an amazing story. So what was that transition from DJ gigs at 16 to yeah. getting into running a very mm-hmm. successful marketing agency? Yeah. You know, I think life is just a, a journey. And, you know, sometimes when you think you have it all figured out, um, you know, life just kind of throws something else at you. Right. And I think uh, if you're kind of open to just being curious um, and just kind of following the journey, um, you know, sometimes it, it takes you to different places that you didn't expect. Um, and so, you know, when I was, uh, when I had just gotten out of the air force, um, I was going to college, I was living in Vegas, going to UNLV and I was going to, uh, go to law school and become a lawyer. Um, and so I was studying for the, the LSAT and, um, you know, I shadowed a district attorney for 30 days just to make sure, is this really what I want to do? And, um, you know, it turns out that I didn't want to be a lawyer. I was too entrepreneurial and, you know, and so I didn't want to be, you know, in a courtroom representing criminals, you know, at least that's what they were doing. Right. And so that was my, uh, my mindset. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm just, entrepreneurial you got this dj company i've already built it up from like one sound system we now have 16 dj systems that go out on a friday saturday night right so it's a pretty decent size agency i was basically just working on the weekends and going to school during the week and making a ton of money right at the time as a 21 22 year old um so it was amazing and so um but then the internet started to kind of come around and this is like 2001 and i'm like wouldn't it be cool if there was like a place? Cause I lived in Vegas. I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if there was like a place online where brides can come and plan their wedding from Chicago and, you know, Wisconsin and Minnesota, right? If they're coming to Vegas to get married. So I'm like, wouldn't it be cool? And so I, I, yeah, I, and that's always the number one question that entrepreneurs like should always ask themselves, like, wouldn't it be cool if, right? <laughs> Fill in the blank, right? That's how most businesses are started, right? Steve Jobs, wouldn't it be cool if everybody had a computer in their pocket, right? You know what I mean? And so uh, that was my thing. I'm like, I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if, uh, if brides can plan their wedding on a website, you know? And so I built a, I, I paid a developer $5,000 to develop a site called Vegas Wedding Mall at the time. And, um, and after it was developed, um, you know, nobody was coming to the website and I'm like, I called up the guy. I'm like, Stalin, you know, you built this website for me. I paid you $5,000, but nobody's coming to it. He's like, oh, yeah, I just build websites. What you're talking about is something called like search engine optimization. I'm like, oh, he, go, he goes, I don't do that. And I'm like, okay. And so then I'm like, I guess I'm gonna have to teach myself this stuff now. Right. And so I bought a book about it at the time and there wasn't a lot of good advice. And so I just read it. Um, and then I bought another book and I read it and I started practicing on this website. And the next thing you know, you know, I was becoming really passionate about this new subject called digital marketing. Um, And so I was able to get that website to rank on Google for like the word Las Vegas wedding and Las Vegas wedding DJ and Las Vegas wedding photographer. Right. And so the next thing you know, like I had people in Las Vegas that were calling me to advertise on this website. And so I'm like, whoa, this is really cool. And so then I was selling banners on this website for like a hundred bucks a month. Right. And it was just passive reoccurring revenue. Right. Every month people pay a hundred bucks just to have this banner. And, you know, and so then it turned into a business. Uh, and so then I built Seattle wedding mall and Los Angeles wedding mall and Nashville. And, you know, and so that's kind of the evolution from kind of going into like being a DJ into this internet stuff. Um, 
And then from there, I got really good at this SEO stuff. Um, and I started to do some affiliate marketing. And then I got hired to work on some poker websites. Um, and, and that's like competing at the highest level um, until the point where um, we moved from Vegas. I sold the, the businesses, moved to Georgia. I didn't want to raise my kids in Vegas. So we moved to Georgia. And then I, uh, I spoke at a, a, a lawyer's house. Um, I got asked to speak about like legal marketing. How do lawyers, you leverage SEO. So I got up there as about a 50 lawyers in the audience. They were all DUI lawyers. And I just gave a presentation as how I was able to rank on Google for like the word wedding favors and it had nothing to do with law. Um, and because I just was very transparent about six lawyers approached the stage and says, Hey, by the way, do you do this for like consulting? And I'm like, not really, but give me your business card, you know? And so I ended up leaving there with like six new clients. And, you know, each of the clients were paying like five to $8,000 a month. And so it was like $35,000 in revenue just from one presentation per month. Right. And so that's how I entered the legal space. And many years later, I've got an agency that works with lawyers. Mostly we do a lot of work with lawyers. I wrote a book called Law Firm SEO. And then I just have another book that just came out called Honest SEO. It just came out uh, two days ago. So what do you think? You know, because SEO is something that obviously is a, a pretty interesting topic for businesses to learn and understand. And, and they may not find it interesting right now, but when they start asking questions to agencies, they'll understand why it should be interesting to them. What do you think the biggest misconception surrounding SEO is for a potential client? Uh, the biggest misconception is that you just kind of like do it once, you know, like, I'm, in fact, I think GoDaddy, when you buy a domain, it says, would you like to include SEO for $4? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, that's not really what SEO is. Um, you know, sure. When you build a website, like you can optimize it and kind of like make the pages so that the title tags and the H1 tags, right. But, you know, just by having a six page website that has SEO doesn't mean that's really SEO. Um, you know, SEO is, you know, we've got clients that pay tens of thousand dollars a month just on SEO. And, and what does that include? That includes like writing content, doing all the technical analysis, like doing digital PR and getting other websites to link back to it. Right. And the more that you kind of invest in that, you know, you're building like this asset. Um, and over time, you know, that asset, you know, continues to bear fruit um, as opposed to like pay-per-click, which don't get me wrong, like pay-per-click is a great strategy too, but you're just basically renting um, space on Google. It's more of like a sunk cost, right? You got nothing to show for it if you stop spending money on it. So, so that's the difference. That's a, a big thing that we run into quite a bit is, you know, people see these advertisements for a search engine optimization and they don't realize just getting your search or your webpage search engine optimized one time that you're paying for is totally different than these SEO campaigns where you're actively trying to move your website up to the top of Google or any other search engine that it's involved in. And that's definitely something I can see as being like a big issue is kind of educating those clients. Because if you're finding this same thing in the law firm space in Los Angeles, California, and we're down here in the home services and nonprofit space in Houston, Texas, it's like, wow, there's a commonality here. And I, I think that people People may think, you know, this agency does SEO and they're wanting to charge so many thousands of dollars per month. Why? What work is going into it? But I know that behind the scenes, like you said, all the knowledge you had to learn to be able to continuously run these campaigns 
is what people are paying you for, especially when you're good at it and you're able to rank as high for something like, you know, you and I both know the law firm space is extremely competitive no matter where you go. So those are going to be tens of thousands where, you know, somebody with a mom and pop shop here in Tomball, Texas can get away with five to $800 a month on a campaign. You're going to need several more hours of work when it comes to law firms. So that's, that's pretty amazing. So you went from reading books to learn how to start your own company to writing books. So would you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, you know, I think when I was when I was coming up, um, you know, and I was starting to learn about SEO, I was intimidated, right? Because I'm not a coder, you know, that's not me. Um, and so when you go to buy a book about SEO, um, it's a little intimidating to walk up to a Barnes and Noble at the time and and go to the computer engineering section of the website and you know, look at all these other books about C++ and JavaScript. And then, oh yeah, here's this SEO book, right? And then you grab it, you know, and then you're like, am I even going to understand this? Right. And so, um, you know, what I wanted to do is, you know, after doing this for so long and still not really being a coder, um, but, you know, kind of understanding the core principles of, of SEO. I think one of my gifts in life is breaking something down that's complex and making it easy to understand. Um, and so uh, that was just kind of my mission was to take 20 years of, of practical experience with SEO, you know, competing at some of the highest levels in terms of the industries from, you know, ranking on Google for online poker, right, which is even more competitive than legal to, you know, to ranking on Google for car accident lawyer in Los Angeles, you know, stuff like that. Those are like super competitive you know, and breaking it down, you know, so that people that read the book will be able to kind of understand it. And they finally say, aha, I think I get this now. Right. And so that was my mission in, in writing uh, the first book, which was specifically targeting lawyers, right? Because that's kind of the industry that we catered to. Um, and I got such great feedback with it that I'm like, you know what, like, I think I should basically kind of write a book that targets small business owners. You know, because coming up as a small business owner, like I feel it was my duty to kind of give back to the industry that kind of brought me up. Right. And so, you know, I hope that, you know, somebody that's 20 years old that, you know, is just getting started can pick up the book and, you know, hopefully I can kind of give them all the cliff notes of everything that had to take me 20 years to kind of absorb, you know, with best practices and they just kind of get the shortcut and they can kind of just get in. Right. So that that's that's part of the reason, you know, it's, it's, you know, they, they always say like when you kind of meet uh, or achieve some level of success, you should always go back and try to be the person that you needed, right. When you were younger. And so just part of the legacy, I guess. Yeah. That's something we see. So my listeners know full time, I'm a firefighter. So I'm a Lieutenant on a fire truck. Oh, and cool. that is, that's exactly kind of the mentality that we have when you become a leader, like, the very low level leadership position I'm in of being a lieutenant, you have to give back. You know, you always want to leave whatever it is. You should have this mantra, but for us, it's the fire service. I want to leave the fire service in better condition than I found it. Sure. And that's exactly it is, you know, we see a lot of my mentors are so focused on because it's easy when we see these Gen Xers coming in, no matter what industry they're coming into, there are a lot of them that are considered to be problematic. You know, they want, that instant gratification, even more than my generation, the millennials wanted. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it comes with, I want to receive a whole lot and not give a whole lot. And that's kind of where we're at in the leadership portion of the fire service today is, well, it's time for us to do exactly what you said. And that is be the person 
that you needed when you were entering the fire service as a kid. Yeah. You know, and, and my, my mentor, uh, Chief Johnson, that's what he says always is give them an opportunity to fall in love with the job. Hmm. And it's the same thing, you know, 20 years of learning this industry and building yourself up, you fell in love with SEO and marketing, but it took you 20 years to learn it and love it and truly be able to use it the way you want to. And it's like in this day and age where you have AI and you have an internet that is vastly different than the early 2000s, sure, you can fall in love and learn it a whole lot quicker if you have the correct resources. So I love that idea of giving back, man. That's something that is always an amazing idea. Did you start off with just this insane luck of being able to lock in a bunch of clients after every speech you gave? Or was this something where you kind of had some struggles with scaling specifically and, you know, getting larger, becoming a larger agency? I know that's something a lot of agencies struggle with is going from the one man show or one woman show where I'm doing everything and then all of a sudden figuring out how am I going to get bigger and be more successful and have multiple people working here? Yeah, you, you nailed it, right? You know, I think, um, you know, because typically when most business owners, right, or entrepreneurs get started on a business, they're doing something that they're passionate about, they love, right? You know, and so for me, like, I love the SEO, right? It was just amazing, right? But, um, you know, over the course of time, like you have to kind of take off your SEO hat um, and put in, put on a CEO hat. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that, that is something that, you know, you, a lot of trial and tribu- tribulations, right. You know, hiring people, um, you know, early on, you know, when you're just getting started, right. You don't have a lot of money. And so therefore you can only high, hire resources in which you can afford. Right. And so most people, like when you're just getting started, you don't have funding, you know, like, okay, great. We got one client, you know, I could manage this. I got two clients. I can manage this. I got three clients. Whoa, I'm kind of managing this, but now it's taken away from my personal life. You know what I mean? And so now you get a fourth client and he's like, there's no way I can do this. I'm burning out. Right. And so, and you're like, I need to hire somebody that, that can help me. And so what do you do? You write an ad, you interview a couple of people. You really don't know what you're doing in terms of interviewing the right people, you know, and then you end up hiring somebody that you can afford. That might be somebody that's like, just graduated high school or still in college. Right. And so, and then, you know, now six months later, you're like, okay, you're going to be my VP of this and you're going to be, so now you're actually promoting people, you know, that aren't really equipped to be the VP, right. You're just kind of giving them a title because you have an ego. Right. Um, And so you make all of these mistakes. Right. And that's the reason why most small businesses, you know, don't really last longer than a year or two. Right. It's just because, they're not really mentally um, able to kind of comprehend that, hey, I'm having fun. So, whoa, I'm not really having fun anymore. To, whoa, now I'm just kind of managing a lot of people and it's just a big mess, right? Um, So yeah, I had to kind of get through a lot of that and I made a ton of mistakes, but the biggest thing is you kind of learn from your mistakes and appreciate your failures. Um, And if you can kind of have that mentality that it's okay to fail um, and that you're gonna learn from it, you're gonna get better, the one thing that I wish I would have done earlier was find a mentor, um, you know, or coach. Um, cause it didn't, you know, I didn't get my first, you know, executive coach until, you know, maybe like six years ago. Right. And that was a getting the coaches really what helped me transition to becoming from a seven figure agency to kind of growing into an eight figure agency. Right. Um, I think without the coaching, we probably wouldn't have gotten past that hurdle. Um, because 
these are people that have already done it. And now they're giving me the shortcuts and the cliff notes and they're being the the person that they needed when they were in my position, right? So it's just the cycle of business and the cycle of life, I guess, you know? Hey there, entrepreneurs. Are you tired of juggling multiple platforms for your marketing and sales needs? It's time to revolutionize your business operations with Wingman. Wingman's an all-in-one marketing automation software. It's designed by experienced marketers who understand your struggles. It's a game changer. It combines the best tools to streamline your communication, automate your workflows, and grow your business. Capture leads using landing pages, surveys, forms, and more. Nurture them with personalized messages via voicemail, SMS, emails, and even Facebook Messenger. And close deals with built-in tools to collect payments, schedule appointments, and track analytics. Say goodbye to multiple marketing tools and hello to Wingman. It's your unified platform for all business needs. You can enhance your online presence, manage your reputation effectively, and cultivate leads effortlessly. So are you ready to take your business to new heights? Visit TrustYourWingman.com today and let Wingman be your co-pilot to success. I to Wingman. Yeah, that is such an important thing. It's something that's come out on this podcast before and we've discussed. Because, of course, you know, in this space, there are 568 coaches that hit me up every single day that want to be on the show. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I, I respect them and I think they're great. I've had quite a few of them on. But it is important to have that person that's there to give you that info, even if it's just from a third party perspective, because mm -hmm. it's so easy for us as a CEO of a company or even just someone that's within a company and just trying to grow themselves in that aspect of you know, leadership or business, whatever the case may be, even a personal coach, mm -hmm. you need someone who's been there, done that, seen it, they've got the t-shirt and they've got the cliff notes for you because Otherwise, you're going to make those same mistakes. And it's like, you know, it's great to go down a path, especially one that is led by a coach that's given you the path that's already cleared. Yeah. But when you start going down the very same path everyone else has gone and you get off in their exact ruts that they've gotten caught and stuck in these places, it's like, what are you doing? You see the ruts there, you know, but you, you can't really see them clearly without that coach standing there telling you, hey. This is what's going to happen if you don't do X, Y, Z. Like, it's nice to have that point of view. So that's a, such an important thing for people to hear and understand is having a coach is not a waste of money. This is someone who is going to help you not only make the right decisions, but guide you on how to train yourself to make the right decisions. Because if you don't know, you don't know. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about people's livelihoods and having a company where you've got, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 employees, and it's like, do you want to risk your livelihood and all of those employees livelihood by making these mistakes and possibly losing it because you know the biggest enemy when it comes to the marketing space is churn mm. especially for those of us set up on a monthly recurring revenue model like this you know where seo is yeah it's like you know what you said was you bring on these people they're working for you and it's because you had four clients now you couldn't afford with your time to spend the time you need with these clients and then you bring on and hire people. And then when that churn starts to happen, what do you do with those people when you don't have enough clients for all of them anymore? Yeah. Yep. That's the other side of it too, right? It's a whole juggling act for sure. Yep. It is. I think, um, you know, two things. Number one, I love what my CEO, Andrew, has always spoken about is basically, you know, a book that he's going to be working on, which is why you shouldn't open your business, mm -hmm. you know, why you shouldn't start that business. And it sounds so counterintuitive, but I think it goes back to something that you started speaking about at first, which is you've got to figure out and kind of go down that path and, and figure out if you want to do it and if you love it. And the problem is when you are passionate about it and it's you and you're the CEO, 
sometimes you may find that that passion is not going to be there when you have to do the hard stuff. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. when you're the one who's in it every single day, it's like, I love to go fishing. But if you go fishing all the time and you're doing it as a job, that joy and that love for fishing may go out the window. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you know, like it's definitely, you take the ups and the downs, right. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes, uh, you have to make hard decisions, you know, um, and sometimes those decisions that you make impact the lives of other people. And so, um, so you have to be very careful and, you know, and with every single thing that you do, uh, in, you know, in this world of entrepreneurship, you know, instead of, you just showing up to a job and you just kind of do what you're told, right? You know, hey, you know, there's some days that I'm like, man, I would much rather like dealing with the the, the fires that I got to put out today. Boy, I wish I would have had just kind of like a steady nine to five kind of a gig. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, it's just it's it's all par for the course. Right. You know, and it just kind of makes you uh, makes you stronger. Um, and I think, you know, the beauty is you know, I've got a lot more experience now with some of those fires that come up based on the past 25 years of having to kind of put those fires out. And like, as a firefighter, you appreciate that, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) As that reference, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just talking with somebody about how similar entrepreneurship is to being a firefighter, as far as just even looking at them both from a very basic elementary perspective of a firefighter's job is to put out fires. Mm-hmm. And then it's like entrepreneurs, it's the same thing. You know, of course you want to prevent fires. So do firefighters. That's why you have the fire marshal's office and you have building codes and yep. inspections and fire codes and all of these things. But at the same time, a lot of what you get paid to do is make that split second decision. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in a path that hasn't been explored before, or maybe not explored very well. And it's like, you've got to make a decision as an expert all of a sudden in a split second, and figure out how you're going to handle this situation and put that fire out. And it's, right. it is, it truly is very similar. So it's probably no accident as to why I'm in the two industries that I'm in right now. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. what is, what is the name of your agency? Yeah. So, uh, so the agency is called Hennessy digital. Um, this, this is my second agency that I built. This one was started in 2015. Um, and I'm very fortunate because of all of the uh, experience that I had building my first agency and a lot of the mistakes that I made there, you know, I had um, a, a better head start with this agency. Um, and one of the first things that I said was, you know, being a digital marketing agency, if when I start my next agency, um, you know, I want to make it so that it's a remote company um, where we can basically recruit uh, from, you know, a global perspective. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if, uh, you know, if I'm in one office building and I got to hire within a five mile radius of that office building, if I can go out and find the best analytics person and they are in Texas, right. You know, I want to be able to hire that person. And so, you know, that was one of the first things that I made that is even way before COVID, this is 2015. So when COVID hit us, we were like, just like, you know, business as usual, um, you know, and then just like other, like all the other little things, you know, um, that just kind of, uh, the lessons that I've learned about hiring, recruiting and, you know, best thing is just figure out what am I not good at? You know, what is the stuff that I used to do at the old agency that I'm just not good at, you know, and that's like the HR and the accounting. That's not the, that's the stuff that I don't have a lot of fun doing. It's just not me. Right. I'd rather, you know, deal with people and do business development and do podcasts and write books and speak in public. Right. 
those are the things that I think I'm good at and I enjoy. Right. And, you know, all the other stuff, I figured out a way to just kind of, you know, delegate that, um, and hire the right people. One of the biggest, uh, roles that we hired, uh, was the, um, COO, you know, putting a good second in command, you know, that basically can kind of help you take a lot of this other stuff off of your plate and, um, and start to kind of, you know, bring in people that are world-class at that instead of me just doing it. Okay. So, yeah, I know it's hard for entrepreneurs because it's so easy for us to follow our passions and what we love. And, you know, you wind up not just staying in SEO, but also doing X, Y, Z, you know, it's like, we've got this thing that we do, this thing that we do. How much has your agency grown, you know, from being a law firm SEO company to what are you doing now? Where are you located? How much of a footprint do you have in the U S? Yeah. Um, so when we first started this agency, um, you know, this is 2015. I had one client, it was me and an assistant, right? Um, so it's two of us. Uh, you know, fast forward, uh, you know, what is it now? Eight years later, um, we've made the Inc. 5,000, five years in a row. Um, we made the Inc. 500 back in 2019. Um, we now have over 100 employees. Uh, we probably manage about 150 different clients. Um, and uh, and our, our um, churn rate um, in terms of employees and clients um are is relatively low um and you know and we're we're continuing uh continuing to grow uh at a, at a good pace um so uh it, it's exciting and and the best thing is you know like for example like i i was able to take a full month off uh in july which never would have happened ever right and i went to europe with the family and we went from Amsterdam all the way down to, you know, um, the French Riviera, right. All throughout 32 days. Um, and there was really no issues. I didn't have to take out my laptop once. Right. You know, I was checking emails and stuff on my phone, but that's just a true testament to, you know, to building a, a team and a culture that basically kind of operates the business and grows the business even while I'm away for 30 days. So, yeah. I mean, that's the dream for an entrepreneur is freedom. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, we may not know it when we first get into it and we think that it's controlling what we're doing or who we're serving or, you know, what what's going on. But that's the ultimate dream is having that freedom, being able to step away and say other people can handle this. I mean, that's to me, you've achieved it. That's what we're looking for. Right. Not having to be there every single day. We see it's so easy to get caught up in the just hustle, mm -hmm. you know, mentality of if you just wake up earlier than everyone else, get to the office bust your ass all day. You're the last one to leave and lock up. And then you just repeat that Monday through Friday. And on Saturday and Sunday, you're at home and that's all you're doing is hustling. You're going to make it. It's yeah. like, that's not the point. No. If that's what I wanted, I would clock in for 40 hours and make some money. But I want to actually make a difference and be able to spend that time with my family and not right. have to miss holidays and, yep. you know, be able to put my phone down when I walk through the house and enjoy my four-year-old or my eight-year-old or my 14-year-old yeah. versus... Yeah. You know, sitting there saying, Hey, dad's busy. Leave me alone. Shut the office door. Yeah. That's funny. You say that, you know, like I think earlier I was, don't get me wrong. I was very money, money motivated my whole life. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's how I kind of, um, determined success, right. Based on money. Right. You know, um, and boy, did I have it all wrong. You know, money is definitely a tool, right. You know, and so I optimized my whole life, you know, for, for money. Right. Um, but now, 
kind of different, right? I'm optimizing my life now back for time, right? Um, and so uh, that's kind of it. I think time is is the true wealth, right? How much time that you have, right? You know, nobody's going to ever remember, um, you know, how, your long hours at the office, except your kids, right? They're going to be the ones that remember that you were at the office for 12 hours every day. Instead. And for the wrong reason. Yeah, that's what I'm like, saying. That's Instead, not what you want. They'd rather yeah. you be at their gymnastics meets or their soccer games or, you know, or just taking them to the park, right? You know, so it's, and as an entrepreneur, it's a really delicate thing, you know, because some, you know, entrepreneurs, we tend to have the, the tenacity to kind of go all in and give it 150% all time, right? You know, and that's kind of your mindset. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just have to try to balance, you know, your your work and your, your, your personal life too. Yeah. I think the hard part for people like you and I is that coming from a place where money wasn't abundant mm -hmm. and coming from a place where you know, life may have been comfortable. Like there were periods of my life where I remember that we went on a vacation or two all the time with my parents. But mm -hmm. then I also remember when my parents were divorced and I was dressing up rice in different ways to try and have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, mm -hmm. you know, or eating ramen noodles or truly struggling. And then as an entrepreneur, because you do see the, the financial freedom that can come if you do well and you build success, then yeah, you can have money beyond what you had growing up. And the big thing for us is being able to give back to my kids. So that's that's why you look at my life today and it's like I've got a full time job. I've got another full time job that's supposed to be part time. But, you know, that's here at the marketing agency. And then I started a company myself yep. so that I can try and get that off the ground and have that entrepreneurial freedom at one point. Yep. And I do all of that because of my children. Mm -hmm. And then whenever you actually talk to your children as a parent. I think we would all be surprised when they look up at us and say, I don't care about any of that. I don't care about the the jobs you've created. I don't care about the good work that you do at the fire department. I don't care about the good work you do for businesses as a marketing agency. All I care about is that you weren't here. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, but I want to take you on vacation and I want to go to theme parks and I want to, you know, buy you nice gifts for your birthday. And they're like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I want my dad here or I want my mom here. And like, that's all that matters. You know, we grew up and almost resented the way we had to grow up. But then you look back and you're like, you know what? But I had a really good family. Even though I was a product of divorce, I had two parents that loved me. Mm -hmm. Even though we weren't the richest people in the world, we still had a good time. Like my dad and I didn't have to do expensive theme park trips or go on vacations. We could just go to downtown Houston to the water wall, you know, or the Galleria and walk around. And that was fun enough. For sure. Me. And oh, I think yeah. we Just lose spending the we, time together, right? That's the value. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we lose sight of that because we forget because of what we didn't have. And then we just, we don't want to repeat that with our kids. And it's like, but at the same time, now your kids are going to grow up and think, well, I did all these great vacations and we had all these great toys every holiday. But in the end, I didn't have my parents there as much as I wanted. Yeah. No, you hit, you hit it on the head, you know, and I, the other thing is I look at it like this, um, you know, I, I felt there was an advantage in life that I didn't come from much. Um, you know, that was a huge advantage for me, um, you know, because it gave me all my drive and my motivation and right. My hustle makes you hungry. Oh, yeah. Right. But I think, um, you know, there's a balance now, you know, because now my kids, you know, they come from a more privileged life. Um, and it is you want to give your kids everything that you that you never had. Right. And so you do that. Um, but I think at some point that becomes, if you do it too much, that becomes a disadvantage. 
for them, right? Um, so, you know, that's that's always another hard kind of balancing act. Like, how much do I really want to kind of give my kids, like, so that you know they'll also have that same hustle. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's another thing that entrepreneurs they achieve such levels of success from a financial perspective and their kids just kind of are spoiled rotten um, and they don't appreciate it. And, you know, then those are, those are the kids that are rude to the waiters and, you know, all that other stuff. And so it's very, very important, you know, that you kind of still uh, instill the, the, the values that you grew up with in them, even if they have a more privileged lifestyle than you did growing up. Yeah. So what is it exactly that you're doing with this studio in Hollywood? Is that a part of the digital agency or is that kind of just a separate passion project or maybe even another company? Yeah, that's a, that's a whole separate um, project. Um, we do use it for some of our clients. They'll come in and they'll do some video projects and stuff there. So it's a, it's a studio. It's called Hennessy Studios. It's in Hollywood, right inside the Television Academy campus. So like our studio, our video podcasting studio literally overlooks like this huge Emmy statue, right? So it's like right in the heart of this Television Academy campus. And so um, we, we've done all kinds of cool projects there. Um, like, for example, the, uh, uh, a couple of TV shows right now, we've got, a, we've got a contestant that was one, the actual, the finalist that got picked on the show Bachelor is uh, going to be coming in and doing uh, his personal podcast there. We did the show Love Island, their official podcast. So every time somebody got voted off of Love Island, they would come down and actually do get interviewed by the host. Um, we've had all kinds of uh, soap opera stuff, right? So <clears throat> totally separate business, kind of geared for um, the area which we kind of serve the entertainment business. And then we also have a video studio where we can do TV show, talk shows, um, uh, uh, music videos, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, man. I know that's always been a big passion of ours here is podcasting. Hence the reason I'm podcasting right now. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You, know, you get to meet really cool people and, uh, there's never a bad day in the studio. In my opinion, it's no. just, yeah, it's always a good day to podcast. It is. Yep. <clears throat> For sure. So are you still Going back to the agency, are you still totally niched down into law firm and SEO work or, you know, what's your ideal client and are you still wanting to grow as far as bringing on more clients? What does that kind of look like? Yeah. So we, we still cater very much to that, to that niche. Um, but it's not all that we work with. It's just who we market to. Um, you know, and that's just because we've got so many great case studies in that niche. Um, and, uh, and so many clients and I speak in that industry and, you know, I'm, I'm well known in that industry, let's just say in the, in the legal industry. Um, so, and there's such a big blue ocean still in that industry. So there's, there's no problems with that. Um, but you know, the reason why I wrote honest SEO was, uh, you know, we're going to start doing, uh, other things as well, other industries. So, yep. Awesome. Well, how do we connect with you, man? How do we, how do we find where you are? I mean, obviously it's a, digital agency. So yeah. I hope that you have some digital channel on every social media platform and websites, of course, but yeah, what's the best way to connect with you, learn from you and then see if we're a good fit. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So, uh, so I post uh, video content uh, just about every day, you know, small little bite-sized clips of just some of the, um, the knowledge that I've learned over the years uh, on Instagram. Uh, so 
Uh, you can follow me just at my name at Jason Hennessy, H-E-N-N-E-S-S-E-Y dot, you know, uh, is the, uh, the handle for that. Um, same thing with LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn too. So if you're listening to this, connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, I love doing virtual coffees. I love meeting new people just like, you know, John, this is our first time meeting. Um, and then, and then just kind of keeping in touch, you know, and following people's journeys as well. I'm, I'm very curious about that. So say LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Twitter, same thing. And then, uh, Facebook is more personal stuff, but Hey, you can come follow me there too. Meet my kids and my family and things like that. And then, uh, the business is just Hennessy.com, which is my last name. That's awesome. Well, Jason, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. And I know it takes, you know, obviously it's time, right? There's other meetings you could probably be sitting in right now. And then it, it takes something to come on and share your life publicly. It's not something everyone's comfortable with. So thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today. Yeah. Thank you for your time and interviewing me. I appreciate it. So thank you. Absolutely. And listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Small Business Origins. We could not do this thing without you. If there were no listeners, there would be no point in Jason and I talking on the podcast today. So thank you for wanting to hear what these people have to say and tuning in every single week faithfully. We really do appreciate it. But that's it for us. It's been another great episode, another amazing entrepreneur. And as always, if you want to stop by smallbusinessorigin.com, you can send us guests that you want to have on the show. You can look into the past episodes we've had. We are over 100 episodes, way over 100 episodes at this point. So there are so many people that you can digitally meet by listening to their story on our podcast by heading over to smallbusinessorigin.com. Let us know what you think of the show. As always, that's it for us and stay beefy, my friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Small Business Origins. I love an origin story. If you like what you just heard, leave us a review, subscribe, and share with a friend. You guys, check this out. They're going to love it. You're going to love it. 